Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom and Don Lister of Anahata Yoga Centre based in Leon C, Essex. Today we are very excited to be talking to Juiti Manuel and she is the founder of a therapeutic yoga training school which deals with working with people and children with special needs and we're really excited to find out about everything that that means and what that does and the incredible offering that she's taking the world over because um, it's a global company, a global school. Um, so let's jump straight in and, and start our chat. So Daniel, let's begin with you. How have you been this week? What have you been up to? What's the world doing for you? I have been very well. Thanks, Dawn. Had a busy, busy week this week. Um, I've been doing quite a lot of work um, with um, Uma Dinsmortuli um, around LGBT History Month. Um, so I've been kind of putting posts up to kind of raise awareness of LGBT people um, and the support that um, continues to be needed to be done within the community. Um, I've also been teaming up with um, another LGBT yoga teacher um, and we've put together some very useful information about people that are running trainings or workshops around not making assumptions about the people that may be in front of you in terms of their gender, in terms of their pronouns, in terms of the um, physicality that you may see on the outside compared to actually what may be going on inside. There's an awful lot of assumptions made, particularly in yoga. And this is a, you know, a, a, a personal experience of mine where being the only male in a room and a male that actually, you know, for me, um, the there's always been a question around, you know, actually, do I want to identify myself as a male? Am I just Daniel? You know, is that enough for me? And, you know, being either ignored in classes or becoming the talking point because you're the token male in the group and the language all around um, what it feels like to, you know, be made to feel separate from everybody else where with yoga we know it should be one about unity and bringing people together and actually what we're trying to do is really raise awareness of how we can make people that are in the queer community feel more welcomed into those circles so that's been my work this week it's been quite exhausting um obviously you know there's been a lot of support but also there's been quite a lot of um knockback from people as well you know people not understanding people needing help and guidance themselves. So it's been a really educational week for me and for everyone else that's engaged with that. Well, I, you know what, I'm so, I'm, I'm so proud of you for doing it because I know it's been a massive piece of work. And also just, it's been like, I've, as I've been following it on Instagram, um, I, it's it really educated me because, I, you know, it's not the world I live in. Well, it is the world I live in because I live in everybody's world, but it's not something I've experienced myself. So I, and ha having followed the way you've broken it down and explained things, it's really opened my eyes. It's made me think and question quite a lot about the assumptions that I, I make. I try to think of myself as being very inclusive, but actually I absolutely do have some 
biases and thoughts and you know ways of perhaps being myself that aren't always are, are making assumptions that I that I shouldn't do so I've just found it really really useful so I you know on from my heart I'm I'm very thankful that you've done it and I think it's I feel like it's going to be an important piece of work so thank you to Uma for giving you that platform that's amazing thank you Uma and th you know thank you for, for, for doing it and it's, it's incredible what about you Joy T how has your week been? Uh, busy <laughs> remarkably busy given that we're in lockdown <laughs> we, we seem to special yoga seems to be in demand quite a lot at the moment for with families who are struggling schools that are struggling um we're in um uh, launching a couple of new courses so it's just you know um the endless uh, you know constancy of oh oh another how do we do this how do we do that how can we be of the greater service to the children because that's really what we're all about Mm. oh wow that's amazing and it's great isn't it that i think the online world has given us opportunities to to open up further i mean i think at first for me i was there was a huge amount of resistance i mean we did it we did it in three days daniel didn't we which is freaking incredible got it out. <laughs> we, got it, we just got it out we like right we're not leaving our community without their practice they're going to need it even more in three days we found zoom and all this business and here we go uh but I, there was a lot of resistance to i want to have clients in front of me i want my community around me i want to feel their energy from seeing their body language and and actually once i got over myself and thought well that's not what the practice is about it's not about what i need it's what what they need you know in that moment i kind of as as we said earlier when we were speaking before we started recording you know it becomes about you know find using it as a bridge so it's a bridge that brings us closer and it's opened up the world so you know we've got students coming daniel haven't we i've had a couple of students from from spain and france and a couple of people in america and you know it's been great we've had students from all over the world who are dropping in and able to attend um, our classes I, I love that the fact that we're you know i, I was traveling a lot uh, uh, delivering special yoga trainings in all you know different parts of the world and you know what's really lovely is you know I sit in a sit on Zoom and you've got people from Australia and Mexico and Canada and Europe and you know Russia and you know uh, um, UAE and you know all sorts of places and everybody's sitting there together and you're just like wow that's amazing you know you wouldn't have that opportunity to bring that that collective together without that you know without this amazingness of modern technology really yeah and I guess the other thing is it's. I, and I, I think this is something we were speaking about, Daniel, yesterday, I think, is that yoga can be quite expensive as a training. You know, it really can be, you know, you, you for to do a good training with a proper, you know, accredited people that have got some weight behind them that really understand what they're talking about. You're going to have to pay for the time quite rightly so. And then you add to that time of work and your traveling costs and your accommodation. And it, it kind of makes it almost inaccessible for some people to, to do it. People who, who would really benefit themselves from the training and then also because they've benefited that's going to go out into the wider community and definitely now that we're we've found ways of making this safe and work online these trainings it opens it up opens it up massively to a whole different slice of the community well we've certainly had a lot of feedback you know um I mean, we had about 220, 230 students studying with us by the end of last year, which was just mind boggling, really. And, and, and so many people were saying, you know, finally, I've been following your work for years and I can never get to where you are and I can never get the childcare and I've never got the money for accommodation and travel and all of that. And so, you know, it becomes a, a viable 
you know, a viable proposition now for people to actually study online with you, you know, mm-hmm. who've been wanting to and had just couldn't, you know, mm-hmm. financially, practically, time-wise, all the rest of it, you know. And do you think that uptake has also happened because so many people now are having to work even more closely with young people than they ever have before. Parents are now having to homeschool. (laughs) So they're spending an extortionately more amount of time than what they would have done with their children. You're in, for many people, confined (laughs) houses because of lockdown rules, but also as well, you know, having to put a child in one room, a child in another room, then maybe the parent having to then see if they've got office space upstairs that they can work. I can imagine that in itself is is drawing people to want to learn more about how they can work and can communicate with younger people and they're coming to you to, to, to ask for that support and help through those trainings that you're offering. Yeah, I think to a great extent, that's right. I mean, the predominance of our trainings is around special or additional needs. But a lot of the techniques, frankly, you know, I mean, I, I actually don't think we're in a COVID pandemic. I think we're in a pandemic of anxiety today. And so a lot of the techniques that we would be using with children, you know, who would be labeled or, or you know, with a condition are equally applicable to, child, to all children these days, you know, because we all need to settle ourselves. We all need to learn how to nourish our hearts. We all need to learn how to feel the ground underneath our feet to, you know, to, to you know, find that that kind of combination of joy and stability, you know, um, and not that madness where we're kind of, you know, flying off the ceiling because we spent too many hours in front of a screen or we've been locked in for too long or, you know, we haven't seen our friends and, you know, all of those things that, uh, you know, are a really serious uh, issue in the in the world for children today. I mean, the mental health crisis is unquestionably increasing. So I think there's a greater and greater need for, you know, in the moment, easy to deliver practices without having to be a yoga teacher, because we don't train people to be yoga teachers. We we train you with tools, accessible tools that you can then go and use. And we obviously encourage you to practice for yourself as well, because actually you as the adult matter, you know, and I, you know, for so long we, we've certainly as a parent, you know, I wasn't brought up putting myself first because you don't do things like that, you know? So actually, but if we do put ourselves first, we have so much more to give to the world. And I'm not, not saying we, we put ourselves first where we don't pay attention to our children, but if we spent time nourishing ourselves every day, then actually our cup is f- the fullest. It's like being on an airplane where they said you put your mask on before you put the child's mask on. It's the same thing, really. We don't think about it in those terms, you know? But if we're full up and we're, we're able to, to manage ourselves, then, you know, we're so much more able to be of use to our children. I completely, completely agree with what you've said. Um, you know, I just, it's, it's so, I think what is happening now is almost like a perfect storm for people to take a look at the way that they have a relationship with themselves and the way that they then relate to people that they're responsible for, um, you know, I think for many people, there's been some real turning points, hasn't there, for for people's growth and reaching out and realising, actually, I'm not coping at the moment. And there's all these reasons why I'm not coping. And I need to find out for myself how I can cope better so then I can support those that I love and I have responsibility for in some way. And 
how amazing that yoga in its entirety gives us that gift <laughs> in in all its different tools to be able to research and, and understand that within ourselves. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what got you into yoga in the first place? What how you've ended up here? <laughs> uh, well, sometimes I wonder how I got here. But anyway, <laughs> so I I um I stepped into my first class in 1974, which feels like you know like an awfully long time ago. I was a teenager, and I had come from a fairly um, challenging uh, and traumatized background, and so and I'd always had this belief growing up that. Um, a, I was born under a lucky star, despite the abuse uh, that I received, but also that I was, that my path would be, you know, shown to me, my healing path would be shown to me. And when I stepped into that first class, I was like, wow, I remember the, the sensation of it. I have zero recollection of the physical practice. For me, it was totally sensory. You know, there were people dressed in white and they were chanting and they were ringing bells and the incense was there. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it was like one of those aha moments where you're just like, okay, I'm home. I'm home. This is me. This is my place. And so that, and then they sent me home with the Bhagavad Gita, which of course is one of the rather beautiful, but quite dense spiritual texts of yoga that really teach you about the, the madness of your mind, really more than anything, you know? And, um, and I devoured it and I thought, wow, this is mad. <laughs> it's even more mad than, than my mind is. Um, so, um, that was the beginning of my journey. And then a few years later, I found myself, I, I, I'd gotten onto a plane to kind of rescue myself really, um, to New York, where I had a, um, a working uh, situation that had been offered to me. And um, within a few days, I walked past this neon sign that said yoga and I went in and I, you know, the teacher there was just saying, you know, use your body as a vehicle of prayer. And I'm like, I'm really home now. And, um, and that was kind of the, the journey. And so he sent me off to, you know, to go and teach. There were no teacher training programs in those days. It was so different. The whole yoga world was so different in, the, in that time. It was so much more about the student teacher relationship. And, um, uh, you know, and although, you know, I didn't feel very confident about anatomy and physiology knowledge, I came back to the UK in the mid eighties, late eighties and took a, uh, took a training course in, uh, in uh, um, uh, not, not anatomy and physiology, but a yoga, a yoga a training that was much more based on the physical uh, understanding of the anatomy and physiology and body mechanics and all of that. And I have to say, I really struggled with it because at that time it didn't have much spirituality in it. So it was too dry for me and I couldn't bear it. So I needed to find that kind of balance. I've always had a kind of very strong kind of connection to something greater than me, you know, to the angelic realm to, you know, and I mean, I'm not like a woohoo person at all, actually, but I, but I do think that there's something greater out there that we can call on to, 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 to serve ourselves if we can be quiet enough to listen. And um, so that's, so that was kind of my journey. And then when I started to teach adults yoga, you know, people with disabilities arrived, a teacher said to me, come into my school, you know, and again, in, you know, even in the late 80s, beginning early 90s, there was no, there was very little yoga compared to what there is now. You know, people looked at me like I was an alien most of the time when I said I did yoga, you know. Um, but when I went into the school, what I noticed was, uh, it was, a, it was in a deprived part of London, and these kids were fiddling, you know, they, they weren't in their bodies. They were, you know, there was no diagnosis of ADHD, autism and all that in those days. They were just children that were bad, naughty, whatever you want to call them, you know. And these were the kids who were kind of jumping out their skins. And I thought, oh, I recognize that. That was me, you know. 
um, you know, not wanting to be here because it's easier to be out there than be in here if you've, you know, if you've had trauma and you, you've, you know, you've, you've kind of been through that experience. So I thought, well, I have no idea what I'm doing, but let's see if I can use the practices that I've done and kind of make them more child friendly without making it play because I don't, I don't like play yoga very much. Um, and in, in those days anyway, it didn't exist. And just kind of adapt the practices to see what would happen. And of course, these kids lap it up because it's it's like the inherent essence of you, you know. Um, and if you can reach them on that level, then actually you're just taking them back to their natural state of being, um, you know. And and you know, so it's just finding those pathways to bring us back to that place. Because for me, yoga isn't what we do on a mat; it's how we are, and the mat's only a reflection of that. So how we are on a mat will be how our mind is or how our physical body is or whatever. But actually I'm more interested about what we take off the mat than what we do on the mat in many ways and how we live. And, you know, at the end of the day, the asana practices are beautiful and wonderful. And I love asanas personally, but I also know that my life won't change if I can get my leg behind my head, but my life will change if I learn how to regulate my emotional state if I learn how to sit in my heart, if I learn how to find peace within myself, that's going to be vastly more helpful for me and for anybody else, actually, than whether I can be a pretzel, you know, and the pretzels are lovely. I'm not saying, you know, anything against the pretzels, but it's a question of where your kind of driving emphasis is in, you know, the pathway that you choose to find to come into the state of yoga, you know. So I, I've done a lot of heart work. I've been through the Buddhist traditions as well. So I've done a lot of work with metta and, um, you know, the self-compassion work. And I found that, that the more that I can kind of just drop into my heart and drop away from the mind and keep dropping in here, dropping in here, dropping in here and meeting it and, and, and taking those layers of the heart wall that we all walk around with down, that actually then I'm just inherently more useful in my being. So people around you respond differently. My kids respond differently. The children I work with respond differently. Everything changes, you know. Um, and that for me is the journey of yoga. And it takes me back in a way to that first class when I was given the Bhagavad Gita, you know. Um, and anyway, then if I journey on, I've, I've backtracked a bit. You asked me about my story. So uh, my older daughter was born in 92. So I was teaching kids classes then. And then I, I was getting more kids with special needs. And a woman with cerebral palsy showed up and a blind man showed up in my classes, you know. So it was just, the past just kind of opened up to me. Um, and then I found myself working with children with additional needs, I would say, um, not the profound complex needs at that time. Um, and then I was introduced to the work of Sonia Sumar, who was a founder of Yoga for the Special Child, went and studied with her. And what I saw with that work was love, pure love. And I was very taken with that. So I ended up op opening special yoga uh, as a center in London in, I think it was 2004, maybe, three, 2000, somewhere around there, um, which, which housed the training courses and housed the work. And we treated a lot of children there. And we also outreached into schools from there. Um, and that was kind of the journey of, of, of it. And then Sonia and I parted ways, I don't know, 2012, maybe it might've been, maybe 13, somewhere around there. And so I kind of developed my own methodology and, you know, we blessed each other's journeys and moved on as one does in life. And um, yeah, so, and, and my journey just continues, you know, and I'm, I'm interested in, in, you know, exploring different methodologies that work that, that take you to the state of yoga. Um, 
so and sometimes people look at our sessions and go is that yoga because it's not asana based and it's not mm -hmm. you know in the classical sense but if it drops the children into their state of being for me that's yoga mm -hmm. so that's how we work really and that's been a huge aspect of my own personal journey and I it's very humbling and I learn all the time I feel like I'm a constant student of life really you know it's, that is such a beautiful, beautiful um, reflection. So thank you so much for sharing. I, can, I Personally, I can resonate very strongly to your journey. I started yoga, my first class when I was 17 in a, a weight training gym. We were banging weights and we were doing it on the mat. And uh, it was just from that moment I knew I'd a bit like yourself I'd, I'd come from a very traumatic childhood and I just I felt for the first time that literally the first time I felt in my body and it was very sensory and 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 that's kind of been and then my journey through practice has been through yoga teacher training and then and Buddhism also and the meta practice has been my practice for 30 years now daily meta practice and you know, I th and I always try to encourage that in our students, that reflection, you know, how can I be kind to myself? So like, we all, we'll often just stop in a posture and say, well, am I being kind to myself right here? And, oh, and if I'm not, why not? And how can I change it? So it's, it's very much about that conversation, isn't it? The whatever we're doing in the practice is an opportunity for a deep clarity and understanding and conversation that we can have with ourselves. And, and I'd quite like you to speak maybe a little bit more, if you could, about you know, when we have that conversation with ourselves and we and we nurture and we get to know ourselves better, how, how in your experience has that impacted the lives of people with children who have you know, special or additional needs? You know, when, when the parent or the carer is in that space, how does that impact on what's happening around? Could, could you maybe talk a little bit more about that? Definitely. I mean, I, you know, um, first of all, I think we all have special needs at a certain level. So, you know, it's also just recognizing that these are differently able children as opposed to disabled children. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's really impo an important piece here, you know. And, um, you know, different abilities doesn't necessarily mean anything bad. You know, it just means different challenges of life, you know. And some of them are quite profound and can be quite complex and can be quite, quite challenging. Um, but what I noticed more than anything is, is that with those children, there's a very deep bond of connection that exists between the primary care, which is often the mother, not always, but often the mother and the child. And when the mother is calm, connected, regulated, breathing deeply, the child is, it almost becomes like a conversation, an unspoken conversation for the child to enter into that beautiful space. So the more that we as a parent and a carer or an educator or a therapist or whoever you are that's working with these beautiful, magnificent beings, and I have to say they all are, um, the more that we can drop into a calmer, less judgmental, um, less expectations, peaceful, calm space, the more the energy that we then emanate just creates an invitational field, if you want, for the child to rest in. And, you know, I think that we spend so much time doing and so little time being. 
And I think that what happens for a lot of parents of children with special needs is that you're trying to, you're not necessarily trying to fix your child, but you're trying to obviously and understandably make it the best you can for the child. And in that place, I think a lot of time what I see is that the parents um, on, uh, forget that their state matters mm-hmm. and that when they change their energetic dynamic, it changes the energetic dynamic of the sleep. And the feedback we get is, wow, I didn't realize how important that was. You know, I didn't realize, you know, because ultimately we're, we're like their rock, you know, and if your rock isn't stable, where is the stability for the child? So then the child's going to be more frenetic and more panicked and more anxious because there's no stability around them, you know? So the more that we as a, as the, you know, adult around the child, whether it's the carer, whether it's the educator, whether it's the therapist, whether it's the parent, the more that we can really work to um, organize ourselves, stabilize ourselves, become calm ourselves, the more calm your child is. And if we think about the fact that 80% of communication is in fact nonverbal, your breath becomes a form of communication, your energy becomes a form of communication, the look on your face becomes a form of communication, your touch becomes a form of communication. So all of those other forms of communication that are nonverbal, you know, are almost more impactful than anything we might say. So children are going to more listen to how you are than what you say anyway. You know, it's like shouting at a child, will you please calm down? They're not going to calm down. Why would they calm down when you're in that state? You know what I mean? You're not, you're not sharing anything useful. I get it. I've been there, by the way, and I've shouted at my children to calm down too. And they look at me and they go, oh, mum, breathe, you know. But, but you know, it's, um, you know it's, it's, it's those times when you've lost your connection to yourself, where you've lost that moment of just inner peace, where you can really hold that space. And things change. And amazingly, science today, I mean, I've, I've been doing this stuff for, you know, donkey's years, but amazingly today, you know, um, you know, there are the science that have me- has measured the, the energetic field of your heart as opposed to the energetic field of your brain, right? And of course, your emotional blah, 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 chaos is all up here, whereas your peace is more here. And so the energetic vibration from your heart is hugely larger hugely larger than the energetic space from your brain. So actually, if you think about it just from a scientific perspective, it makes complete sense, you know, but we forget. And it's, it's that kind of reminder, you know, and we can change our state in two minutes. It doesn't, you don't have to do an hour's yoga. This is the other thing I think is really, you know, important is that, yeah, it's lovely to get on a mat and spend an hour or two, you know, nourishing ourselves that way. But if you don't have that time, Take five minutes, take three minutes, take two minutes, stop in the day, take a deep breath, you know, find your feet, you know, find the connection between, you know, above you and below you. I mean, you give yourself a lovely, loving squeeze and tell yourself you're doing a great job, <laughs> you know, <laughs> however difficult that moment might be. It's those kinds of things that will help to bring you into what I would describe as a state of yoga. You know, the, um, I was just thinking kids, particularly we all do this but kids particularly they learn from watching don't they so they see how we are and then they kind of mimic that so they see if we're feeling safe and they might not know that that's really what's going on but they can smell it and and then the only thing they can do is try to make themselves safe 
in the way they know how, and that isn't necessarily resourced up at all. So, so I hear what you're saying is if, and, and I agree we've all got some kind of need. <laughs> and we, should, we were saying this earlier, we're living in a society which is having a pandemic, as you said, of anxiety. And you're so right. Everybody, everybody I see now, whether it be therapeutically or in a yoga class, is on some scale suffering with anxiety. You know, they're, they're not in their body. They're not, there's no peace. There's no space. You know, they're very, very disconnected. And um, so if that's what a child is seeing, that, that, that they aren't safe, then how, how are they going to make themselves safe? We've got, we've got to show them. And the only way we can show them is if we, if we know how to do that for ourselves. And I think there's a massive guilt thing for people about taking the time out. You know, e even now when most of us do know better, we've heard it somewhere, you know, put yourself first, nurture, self-compassion. And then what you hear is, yeah, I had a bubble bath and I had a Netflix binge. You know, it's kind of not necessarily doing things that are really going to make the difference in terms of, of how you're feeling and, and your capacity. So I know for me, you know, as I was bringing my kids up and, you know, we had our difficulties as, as all families do, that there were times where I just used to think I've got, there is literally no space. I have no space. I'm no mental space. I'm no emotional space left. I've no, I, I can't do, I can't help you. I just can't help you anymore. And then you'd lose your temper or you get distressed or you would do something inappropriate, like, I don't know, buy them something to make them feel better, which of course never really helps. And I, I kind of think, I really hope that the world now is changing to a place where we're starting to learn to look after ourselves. That, that it's okay, even just starting that conversation. Like that's that's the beginning, isn't it? Oh, I wonder if I could do this differently. Or I wonder if I could practice mindfulness or as you say, take a breath. See, I think what's interesting about this conversation, what you've just said is, is that we didn't grow up learning to take care of ourselves. We grew up being told that we had to take care of others. Yeah. Actually, the future generations need to learn how to take care of themselves. And the only way that they can learn to take care of themselves is if they see us taking care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that the pattern then becomes a newly created pathway for you know, the future generations, actually. Um, you know, because I certainly, I don't know anybody in my generation who was taught to take care of themselves. I mean, you know, my father used to say things like that and then go and beat himself up, you know, and you know, vacuum another bottle of whiskey, you know. Uh, so he knew, but he didn't live it. You know, so saying it didn't mean anything. You know, it didn't, it didn't, it, it, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's, you can say these things, but unless you actually do them and, you know, we don't teach our kids by what we say, we teach our kids by how we are, you know. And, and also then there's the acceptance that we're human, you know, and that we will fall into those spaces that you described so well, of overwhelm, screaming, unhappiness, then you beat yourself up after, oh, I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't, I mean, I've been there so many times, mm -hmm. you know, and also learning just to be more gentle with, you know, actually, this is a really difficult moment, you know, and what can I do in these moments, you know? And um, I, I, uh, I did quite a lot of work with um, uh, some self-compassion work with Kristen Neff's work, which I particularly like her work. And she, part, you know, she shares a kind of three-part process, which says in those moments where you just feel like I've got no space, I'm in overwhelm, I'm going to explode, is just acknowledge that you're in that moment before you go and react, right? You know, it, and it's learning, it's retraining ourselves to be able to be aware that this is a really horrible moment. I could use some worse language than that. I'm not going to on camera, but, you know, it's a really, you know, I mean, I really hate this moment. 
And then the, the second part of it, you know, is, is based on the Buddhist principle that they believe that the world is made up of suffering. And it's not that you want the world to be suffering. It's just that what it means is that you're not alone. You know, that there are, are, are other people that are going through the same thing as you, which somehow makes it slightly easier, you know. Um, and then the third is, is that if you were your best friend, what would you, what would you say to yourself? What would they say to you? Not you pull yourself together. It would be more, what, what would they compassionately and tenderly say to you? They'd probably give you a hug and say, it's okay, it too will pass. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of my mantras over the years, is it too will pass. <laughs> you know? And I just, you know, I've been seen just kind of giving myself a big hug, you know, and those are the moments that just stop you in your tracks before you explode. And it certainly works for me. That's not to say I don't explode. I, I, actually, I don't explode very much anymore because my kids aren't living with me, but um, it makes a big difference. But um, not that I don't love my kids, but I, I really love them very much. But, um, you know, I, I don't, and actually even when they were living with me last time, there wasn't that level of explosion needed because I was working harder, if you like, at trying to catch myself before those, those things happen and just hold myself. And, and it, but with a great deal of tenderness and a great deal of compassion that it's okay. It's okay to feel awful it's okay to feel that you're going to explode. It's okay to feel like, excuse my language, like a rubbish mother. Like, you know, it, because actually we're not, but it's, it's okay to be human, you know? And I think there's something really important about just acknowledging the human mess that we are, all are. You know, the humanness of the human mess, <laughs> one way I describe it. And just being able to honor that for ourselves as well, because we're not perfect. I mean, we're perfect in our imperfection, if you want to call it that. But we, you know, we, we're all doing the best we can. That's the reality, you know. And some days you'll be easier to acknowledge that than others, you know. It's so it's so hard, isn't it? When all around you, it seems like there is this unrealistic world of perfection that's been created, you know, through social media, through things that you watch on TV, through magazines, through every single stream of information that we get fed, there's always someone doing it better than you. (laughs) Or there's always someone that has achieved more than what you could ever do. Because actually, it's this whole thing about keeping you keeping you on your toes and anxious to keep you going to keep buying more things or subscribing to these things or believing these things and actually I noticed myself early on in lockdown I I started to get really caught up in some of that stuff and kind of I could feel myself getting dragged into it so for me it was about actually I need to shut off from all this stuff for a while because I need to take care of myself before I can stand in front of other people and offer them any kind of support. And for me, it's been a hugely cathartic process. But for many people who've got children, their kids are living in that world where the world that they're actually living in is unattainable for many families because they haven't got as much money they haven't got those resources they don't live in places where you know these these fantasies are (laughs) created you know actually many people just live quite a mundane life and actually it's accepting the beauty of what those lives are isn't it rather than looking for more yeah I think it's a combination of that and also just really honoring ourselves as human beings you know I mean we're all striving for perfection whatever that means and why bother I mean, it's awesome. I mean, why bother? 
let's Absolutely. just and be here and be the best we can within our humanity, you know, mm. and just acknowledge ourselves and each other as human beings. And I notice that the more that I share my vulnerability, you know, because, you know, we, we all have that capacity, the more it invites others to feel safe to do the same. And then all of a sudden the guards drop and you kind of just sit in a more gentle space of being, you know, of, of, of the challenges of life without, it, without having to get into the drama, but actually just being able to just accept that it's part of our existence. I think... Um... As I was as listening to you, I was, I was reflecting that actually it's really helpful for our children and, and you know, just people in general to see what, that people fail and we get it wrong and that and it's okay, it's not devastating, you know, the world doesn't crash around us. And then and then what we do next, it's like, so, okay, that's happened, that, now what do we do? You know, do we own it? Do we apologise? Do we acknowledge it? Do we make amends? Do we... You know, do we not spend the rest of our week beating ourselves up, whatever? I think I think that's a really useful thing. People need to see it's a healthy thing to see failure, to see a resolution of an argument, all, all of those normal things that we as human beings who are living in in suffering, which we are, um, that that's going to be our experience, and it's okay, it's safe, it's, it's safe, it's not you know, it's not devastating. I, I was just going to um, just ask, you know, if I, if somebody was thinking, you know, I, I'm teaching yoga or I'm a parent and I want to understand more about the work that you do and how I can bring some of this self-nurturing to my students or to my family what what would if they came and sort of landed on your website and came onto one of your trainings what would that look like you know what, what does that look like when you step into that space where you're actually teaching etc so if you um I mean at the moment all of our courses are now online we've been online since March last year so our, um, we have a, 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 an online platform which houses all of our courses, whether they're little ones or bigger ones. If you come and train with us as a parent of a child, presumably with additional needs, which is why you would come uh, as a parent anyway. I mean, we have therapists and yoga teachers and educators who also join our courses. Our courses are made up of a combination of webinars, self-learning tools, and um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, study groups. So the study groups help peer, le peer learning. So it's kind of, I think they call it blended learning as part of your, you know, as part of the process. And we found that um, we start with heart meditations. I mean, that's where we start almost across the board. And so just learning how to just sit in your heart, just sit in your heart, just sit in your heart, because that's really, for me, the foundation of all our work anyway. And then um, the journey takes you through, you know, different breath work, different sound work, different massage work, different energy work, energy medicine work, um, different relaxation practices, different asanas, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you, we show a bunch of different uh, um, adaptation, uh, uh, how to adapt those practices for um, kids, you know, so if you would take it, for example, with autism, the autism, autism spectrum is huge. So you've got kids who are non, you know, of what they call pre-verbal. In other words, they're non-verbal. They don't, they're not able to communicate verbally, um, you know, and seemingly, seemingly quite dysfunctional in terms of how they, or, I mean, dysfunctional from a society's perspective of how they operate in life, all the way across the board to children who are, you know, see, look on the outside to be, normal whatever normal may be 
that are suffering quite levels of anxiety, sensory needs, needing everything to be in certain, you know, certain ways. And then you've got everything in the middle of that, you know. So it's quite a big spectrum and how you might adapt the practices will depend on your ability to listen, observe, notice behavior. You know, behavior is a form of communication. How are the children moving? How are the children breathing? Where are their, you know, what, what are the patterns that they present with that will help guide you to what tools are going to be best to access to help the child find their own regulation. And that's what we're always working towards. So that's what, what our training courses look like. And most of them are running for about three to four months, which really gives you an opportunity to really immerse in the practices, immerse in, you know, really practice them so you start to embody them and understand them. So then you're more useful with them. Um, and then we have a number of short courses. Uh, so in the, uh, at Christmas time, we released a, a short course which is all pre-recorded material around different techniques to help your child to sleep. You know, why sleep's important, how it works. I mean, not in huge scientific, you know, so it's very accessible, very uh, um, bite-sized pieces. These are the different practices you could use in the evenings to help your child to settle. Um, and this week we released a, um, another short course on home education. So these are kind of like what you would call classroom breaks, if you like, during the day. So there's a combination of, you know, bringing more alertness and calm practices, you know, that you can do in the moment like this. Parents can do them with the kids, kids can do them on their own, um, kind of up to you. So it's a combination of movement and breath work, um, a little bit of relaxation, a little bit of meditation, um, you know, bite-sized pieces that you can, you know, ring your bell every you know, hour and stop, <laughs> or look at the clock and stop, or notice the child's like slumped on a, you know, or bouncing off the ceiling. <laughs> so, you know, an array of different practices will either, you know, bring you down, bring you up, you know, energetically, and then some kind of more half hour practices for different age group kids to, you know, use at any point in the day. Are you working with um, any schools or teachers particularly because um, I could imagine that's probably a, a hot topic at the moment um, in terms of support for both sides of the, <laughs> the screen. <laughs> a lot of um, what I would describe as inset trainings in special schools. Predominantly we're working with the special schools. They seem to be the ones that are coming to us at the moment. So we're offering anything from hour or two hour sessions to give the teachers or, or day sessions, depending on, or, you know, a selection of those, uh, you know, in the kind of twilight hours um, to help the teachers to, for their mental and emotional resilience, and then techniques within that that they can then adapt and give to the kids. So we're doing quite a bit of that. A lot of teaching staff from specialist schools and from mainstream schools who are working with the SPN population are joining our training courses as well. And the feedback we're getting is honestly, at the end of the courses, it makes me cry, you know, when people share how the practices have impacted the students that they work with, how it's impacted their own lives. Honestly, I could weep every time. I mean, it's, it's all I can do not to sit there in floods of tears. Not, not because it makes me sad, but just because I'm so deeply moved by how impactful these practices are and how much they really work. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the strain that teachers are under currently is immense, isn't it? I mean, you know, Dawn and I have the, 
have the privilege of, of working with quite a few teachers through our studio. And I've actually been doing some work with a um, primary school um, in out of London, um, just doing a, a monthly session with all the teachers, which gets recorded, which then they can have at home. And it's like you've said, it's just bite-sized stuff that they can bring their nervous system back down into check. So they can then proceed in a way where they feel grounded and comfortable rather than responding from a heightened place of stress where many of them are operating from because there's so much more expectation being put upon them now, isn't there? You know, and so there's so much more needed from them, um, which, you know, there isn't, they haven't been trained how to deal with this, have they? You know, and, and it's insightful for those head teachers or those, you know, those um, organisations that have some kind of governing body that's actually realised that our teachers need further support, you know, because they're dealing with stuff they haven't been taught or trained or know how to do themselves necessarily unless they've gone and sorted themselves. Yeah, I think one of the things that happens a lot for teachers as well as for kind of, you know, therapists, you know, paediatric therapists, like occupational therapists, physiotherapists, is that they, they're very, it's, you know, the, the environments that they work in are very goal-oriented. And so there's a lot of pressure on them to achieve. And so the more, you know, the more they kind of layer that onto themselves, the higher the anxiety levels are. And of course, with, with COVID on top of that and having to keep these kids safe and then trying to figure out how to educate them partly, you know, in schools, partly out of schools, it's, it's really gone off the Richter scale. And in fact, one of the things I've started to do is I'm, I'm now on the faculty of the Breath Body Mind Foundation in the state. So we're developing a curriculum for uh, mainstream schools um, with, you know, pre-recorded materials that the teachers uh, can put on in the classroom where they can do the practices alongside the kids. So they're not having to think about what do I have to do, but they can participate with the children um, to create uh, a calm environment and to create, put everybody together on the same page. So the teachers can be given their practices like that as well. Uh, Is that with um, Richard, Dr. Yeah. Richard Brown and, Brown and uh, Dr. Brown and Dr. Gerber, yes, I yes, Gerber, yeah, yeah, they wrote that amazing book, didn't they, called The Healing Power of the Breath, yeah. um, so which them. I'm on their faculty now to to, to develop a, a curriculum for mainstream education. Oh, that's, that's amazing! That is amazing. I, I wonder if you can get it in the UK as well. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea is if we'll launch it in the UK as much as anywhere else that wants it. Brilliant. Fantastic. I think um, I was just listening and thinking, you know, in the, the teachers I encounter and my friends who, you know, who, who've got kid, younger kids, they, they, they just, they are so anxious, the children. And to have the offering of maybe at the beginning of a lesson, just to let's settle in, you know, let's just all come together and settle in. Let's, you can develop, like, you can create this, like, beautiful mindset which is deeply peaceful and um, which creates community as well you know we spoke earlier about we're all in this together so we if if teachers could do that at the beginning of a class and as you say it could be a resource that something as special as we're on screens is downloaded what a, what a difference that would make to their learning experience actually and I, I know I'm, I've had quite a few teachers on the um, MBSR, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction course I teach. 
And they just said it's transformed for them the way they are with the students and particularly the difficult students. And it's been it's been quite life changing. But I have to say, I find it quite difficult to get into a school to give any kind of sort of more wider based program. It's not the easiest thing in the world. It doesn't seem that the funding's quite there or that people. I think, I think the bigger problem at the moment is, is that the, the, the COVID has created such high levels of uh, both, not only stress, but management mm -hmm. that the heads of the schools are literally just keeping their heads above water, managing day to day on who's got COVID, who hasn't got COVID, running here, running there, taking kids for COVID tests, you know, that, and, and just managing the protocol yeah. that schools have to, you know, uh, function within in order to provide education online for the kids that are not coming into school to managing the children that are coming to school for the frontline workers and the vulnerable children. Mm. And they haven't got the bandwidth to think about anything else at the moment. I think that that's a bigger a bigger issue. I think if you're already in a school, what I what I know is, you know, from people that we've trained over the years, that if you're already working in a school, you're able then to support it. Going as an outsider trying to get into a school where you haven't got a relationship, they don't know you, they're not even opening those doors. Mm -hmm. I was going to say the only way I managed to get in was because I've I've had a personal relationship with the, the head teacher for years. You know, she's been she's been coming to my yoga classes and she was just like, I need you to come in because I don't know what else to do. I'm really, you know, it's that at that point. But I think, um, it, you know, cold falling schools right now is, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe you'd hit on a lucky moment, but I, I think it's just, you know, um, I mean, as I said, I mean, we're being predominantly approached right now by special needs schools. Um, you know, I, I just want to thank you for the work you're doing. You know, I'm, I'm mindful of our time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of round things up for for you now. But I'm just I I want to thank you for the work you're doing because it's so important. And listening to you's really kind of educated me a bit a bit more about you know what's what what can be done. Because when I first thought about yoga for special needs, my brain shut down instantly. I was like, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what I would begin to do or how that would look. And I I have a completely different mindset about it now. At the end of this conversation. Um, and let's all hold the wish that, you know, we can, as practitioners, take this incredible work that has transformed our lives and, and our families' lives um, out into the wider world, into schools, into places where it's needed. You know, that, that's our starting place, isn't it? Let's hold the wish. Yeah. So, so my, mission, my mission in the world is just to reach as many kids around the world as we can. You know? And I've had the privilege of, you know, being on the dusty floors in you know, the northeast of Sri Lanka with all the education. You know, with all the kids with special needs there, who just nobody nobody helps them. You know, oh, it's not so available to them, and you know, visiting the homes and working with the families and giving the mothers a little bit to do with their children. And, you know, just those things are very um, they're very touching. You know, so it's it's everywhere. It, it's actually needed everywhere. You know, and hopefully with the global outreach, it uh, allows us to um, you know get into more places anyway. That's, that is just is incredible and, and I believe that when we plant the seed of metta in our heart in our practice that that is the outcome that we do take our work out to the people that, that really need it so so thank you so much for for continuing this offering we're just going to finish by asking you the question we ask everybody that is kind enough to come and chat to us how do you look after yourself what's your <laughs> self-care tip that you that you always make sure you do every day um 
well, I've, I've meditated and, and practiced some aspect of yoga for, you know, I mean, 30 odd years now, you know, on a, on a very regular basis. And um, I, I think since COVID hit and I'm on screen, you know, online in front of the computer more often, I'm having to be much more diligent about getting off the computer, going and being in nature. I get in the cold, I, I live by the sea, so I'm quite busy in that way. So um, I get in the cold sea three mornings a week or sometimes four mornings a week, um, which keeps, kind of keeps you alive. And um, I, I do a lot of coherent breathing is my uh, primary practice of breath work. Um, that and some Kundalini yoga uh, to kind of raise the energy. And so I, I, I just work hard to just make sure that I keep moments of my day to take time for myself you know, uh, and be mindful about it. And also I've noticed that, um, I was noticing last year, that when um, I wasn't paying attention, my diet was out. And now that I've decided to pay more attention, I've kind of um, made a more sattvic diet, you know, more balanced, uh, a peaceful diet. And it's really changed my, um, my brain's change. It's really interesting. So mm -hmm. I was talking to a, a nutritionist yesterday who's going to do a short course for us about nutrition, particularly for ADHD, but actually how it, how it impacts your, um, your uh, I mean, my mind's quieter. It's really interesting. It's really quiet. I, I don't I know think, how, so that's also helping me. So, and, you know, and I'm loving just cooking nutritious food for myself and my partner and, you know, just, I don't know, just being more peaceful and standing in nature. And I, I go out so frequently and look, look at the clouds and see if I can find angel shapes and hearts and things. And anything that just soothes me and calms me. Mm, sounds wonderful. <laughs> sounds absolutely powerful. I feel soothed just listening to the practice. <laughs> So Daniel, I'll let you finish up and from 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 my from myself, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to be with you guys. Thank you so much for your time. It's just, yeah, I like Dawn, I've I've learned a lot. And what I've learned is to remember I'm responsible for my energy, and that energy then affects everybody else, which is how you open that conversation and just to have that reminder every day to do that is, you know, can make a huge difference for those that we spend our time around. <laughs> so thank you for, for that reminder. Um, so please do continue to um, follow us on this podcast. Um, if you listen to us on Apple, we'd really appreciate you leaving some feedback or letting us know how we're doing. Um, please do share on social media with other people that you might think may be interested in listening to this podcast. And also as well, maybe people that you would like us to have on as well, because we're really open to suggestions from people that are listening. So until next time, thank you so much for listening to From the Heart. Thank you for Joy T for being here today with us. And thank you, Dawn, for leading the way today. We'll see you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you.